0: When Shamrock Rovers got one back, tears came to my eyes. When we went two and up, and I heard those thousands of Sligo people, I was proud and we went out and won. Best mm-hmm. town in the world,
1: best mm-hmm. town in the world, best town in the
2: world. More drama here. Gilani, North, Elding, 3-2. They've been looking for Stenson's head away at the far post. and over it comes Elliott. Stenson! 1-1. Brilliant, 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 brilliant! Here comes Quigley, and it's there! It's Slugger 3, St. Patrick's Athletic 2, and that could be the decisive moment in the title
1: race. We will never forget this day.
0: Welcome along to the fourth edition of the Bitter Red Supporters Trust podcast. Uh, we have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, we have an interview coming up in the middle of the show. We speak to um, Leo Gray, the former sports editor with the Sligo Champion. Um, he he uh, looks back on um, his career uh, in journalism and uh, the, importance, uh, the important role that Sligo Rovers played in, um, you know, in his job working for the Sligo Champion. Um, we're going to look back on the Shamrock Rovers game and um, we might talk a little bit about uh, the Cork City situation, they are going to vote, the Forest members are going to vote on whether or not um, they will sell the club to Trevor Hemmings who is the current owner of Preston North End Um, there's just two of us today or this evening, we're recording the show on Wednesday night hopefully you'll be listening to this Sometime on Thursday. So it's just myself and Sean Dunn um, who are with you today. How are you, Sean?
2: Not too bad, Connor. How's things?
0: All good. Um, where's Magoo? Magoo is in isolation, I'm afraid. He's you know, missing in action. Yeah. So how are things, Shane? Hope you keep well, Magoo.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Don't cough in public.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you see him around, give him a wide berth just in case. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, did you? I mean, we all watched the, the Shams game. Um, we weren't at it?
2: No, that's. Ah, yeah. Well, no, we weren't. We weren't at it. We weren't at it. But I think a lot of credit has to be given to Shamrock Rovers. They're, they're a fantastic footballing team. They're, I think they're an excellent side to watch. They've uh, quality players throughout, to yeah. say the least. Yeah, um,
0: Across their starting 11 they're, like, I suppose you would say from a performance point of view we've put in much worse performances in recent weeks um, but it was just a gap in quality that was the
2: difference Definitely, i 100% go along with you that I thought there was actually phases through the game where we were very good and pegged them back and played some lovely football around them now it was few and far between but there was times when we were the better side
0: yeah um, like the, the first goal, what can you say i mean I, I, you, you don 't want to criticize you don 't want to criticize the goalkeeper, but i mean it 's a terrible mistake, but you know he 's young i wouldn 't want to be making a big deal out of it, but it kind of did to a certain extent like we, I think a lot of rovers fans went in with an expectation that we're really going to put it up to them. And if, if like, it was just such a disappointment to, to be so heavily beaten in the end, um, and maybe if things were a bit different for that first goal or if we didn't let in such a soft goal, you know, we, we could have challenged them a lot more. The confidence could have been there for the, throughout the 90 minutes.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, look, if anyone given out a hard time or anything over that goal, they need to take a look at themselves because he's been absolutely fantastic yeah. for us. And his development has been amazing this season. He's yeah. come up leaps and bounds. Look, things like that are going to happen. They're going to happen to the most experienced goalkeepers. It happens. Shit happens. You get on with it. You know? And yeah, I think you have to look at his performance after that mistake. And that yeah. tells you everything you need to know about him. He was brilliant throughout the rest of the game. Yeah.
0: The timing, yeah. Is, the timing is probably bad for him, just like he's called up again to the under-21 squad. There's a bit of focus on him, and that happens.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It doesn't look too great, but I think... I think of what coaches, the Ireland coaches and that would be watching on even on that would take more heart out of the rest of his performance afterwards and say psychologically that keeper is where he needs to be. He can yep. brush that mistake aside and get on with his game. First, I, think, well, I think actually what needs to be looked at more is, and again it's hard to criticise him, is Gary Buckley's defending for the goal. He's nowhere near running Finn. Yeah. Honestly, has way too much time to turn and he even scuffs the shot which is worse again
0: yeah but isn't this, isn't this um, a symptom of a back four that's been chopped and changed Buckley's only in there a couple of games you know I mean maybe for some of the other goals as well there was mistakes made at the back um, but do you think this is a symptom of the constant changing and what about the full backs what about, the, fullbacks? What about the, the team selection again
2: I thought the back four, the selection of the back four was abysmal. I thought it was absolutely I thought I, I can't see the logic in the, that back four. I can't see what Liam Buckley was looking to achieve by picking that back four. Henning Kangas, for me, cannot play left back. A six five man cannot play left back. He's not agile enough. He doesn't have it in him to get up and down that line as we want from our full backs. That doesn't happen. And he also seems to be very uncomfortable Receiving the ball on his left peg with nowhere to open out, out to. Whereas when he's playing at centre half, he can open out to a left full or pass it back inside. He seem, when he seems to receive it, when he's in that left full, he seems to panic. And he even, when he, any time he tries to clip the ball down the line, he's just kicking it out of the player, just giving it back to the opposition. He did not look settled in there one bit. And Darren Noon at right back was just... Look, he's not a right back. He's an attacking midfielder. I don't think it's even fair to be playing the lad there. Yeah, I thought he was very, very timid. I don't think there was any aggression from him whatsoever. Aaron Green got at him a few times. Thorogood got at him a few times, and they were just breezing by him. Yeah, there was no, he, he didn't give them a minute hassle.
0: Yeah. So I mean, we we have we're unsure about what's going on with Banks. Um, he has been out of form, but like that game was crying for changes to be made much quicker to that back four.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think you could have changed the back four in the first half an hour. Yeah, that's uh, that's drastic, but. yeah, but I think you genuinely could have. Uh, you could see from the first couple of minutes they were playing balls in behind and Kangas, and they were trying to get out there and then. They they yeah. they they seen it straight away. Stephen Bradley seeing that weakness and he went for
0: it. Yeah, yeah, but but even like I, yeah, and I and I'd agree with you. And I think you could have changed the back four. And I mean, you could have D- Noon could have stayed on the pitch. Um, Timo could have stayed on the pitch, and um, you could have brought in. You could have changed the fullbacks and and swapped out um, and swapped out Timo. You know, into a centre back position. And I think that would have. You know, just the experience of having Banks there. I know he might be performing at the moment, but in a game like that, uh, we've seen what he's done, what he can do across the season, he has a he has a head in the shoulders and uh, you know, as a base to set up our attacks from, you know, to have that bit of solidity. We you know, I think that, that would have been an option. That could have helped improve things. What what about um what about our midfield, Nile Moore and the Seymour combo? Um Morgan did okay, I think, but um,
2: Seymour. Yeah, more, yeah, Seymour was a bit of a non-event for me, and um, nothing really. He didn't do anything as such. He kind of gave the ball away a couple of times, and he got himself a But I think the occasion nearly got to him. I think uh, I, I didn't see anything from him.
0: Mm. Uh if if Moreham's going to be really effective in there, he is going to he he needs more of, of a presence in the Seymour or the Cauley or whoever it might be to give a bit of protection, I suppose. And he just didn't, he wasn't afforded that uh, against Chelmer Rovers.
2: Yeah, no, he definitely he does work better with someone like like a David Cauley beside him, that that offers him that um, that protection, as you say. And um, nobody, he, he look, he played, did play well. He was he was decent throughout the game, but like that, I think between the two of them, that they offered little to the game in terms of creativity or even winning the ball back. It was just kind of it was a nothing yeah. affair from the midfield, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah. Um I mean we were kind of overrunning midfield a bit, um and like I think that really kind of set us back. That we were on the back foot from the off really they just for I know I mean we had good periods as he said, but for the majority of the game, and as the game wore on, as, and as it became harder and harder and harder, we were chasing shadows. I suppose from Will Seymour's point of view, you know, the goose was cooked at that stage. We were kind of screwed, like, you know, so I, I don't know, you know, maybe he was just in the mindset that he'd just, he'd <laughs> he let this one go. Like, you know, there's not a huge amount he could do, maybe. Sorry, I think my... Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Okay, so we'll go back in and we'll take it from here. Um, Sean, let's have a little bit of a look at the uh, the opposition, the man that's uh, making all the the noise, certainly from football supporters in Dublin. Jack Byrne, what did you think of his performance? Uh,
2: he was he was very good. He was he was very good, and um, that's the problem. Jack Byrne is consistently very good, but it's it's the hype. It's it's the hype that frustrates me. In regards to Jack Byrne, um, yeah. he's a he's a brilliant performer, a beautiful passer of the ball, but I I can't buy into this hype. I think he's a brilliant player, but I've, I was even as I was saying earlier, I was reading this on Twitter. Some of their fans after the game saying he's the best that's ever played in the league. Like I think that's a massive show of disrespect to the league in general, and even to some of the players Shamrock Rovers have had over the years. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, he 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 fits into the the modern idea. He's 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 the modern midfielder, isn't he? You know, he keeps the ball moving. He 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 brings a rhythm to the game, uh, and he can do things like he did for the goal where he, he plays a ball from almost from the halfway line in over the top of our defence. Um, for was it Finn's goal or was it uh, uh, Graham Burke. Graham Bark's goal? Sorry, yeah. Um, but he can do these wonderful things. Um, before we started recording we, we, heard, we had a little talk about uh, the Ireland squad interesting that um, um, Josh Cullen who has he gone on loan from West Ham to Anderlecht or is, he, is that a permanent move he's been yeah. with the Irish squad is that right
2: That's, yeah and I don't think he's played a competitive minute this this season
0: yeah so I mean the question I'm asking you is do you does Jack Byrne deserve a place ahead of the likes of Josh, Byrne, or Josh Cullen
2: yeah, but you see, this is, this is kind of what I was hitting at earlier on there. I have no problem with Jack Byrne, footballer. I actually do think he warrants a place in the Irish squad. I think he's a, a very, very talented midfielder. And he offers you something different. And he has the right mentality about the game. He wants to play the game in the right way. And that's something we don't have in a lot of midfielders in the Irish squad at the moment. So I do think if he's playing top form and he's available for selection, yeah, you call him up. And he has that, look, I know it's League of Ireland, but he also played against AC Milan there as well. So he is getting a wee bit more experience than the likes of the Josh Cullen, who's not playing competitive football. So yeah. I can't see how that benefits from Ireland's football. Um,
0: Jack Byrne's been linked to, to uh, Bournemouth. Would you, if you were you're his agent now, Sean, what are you saying?
2: Oh, snatch that move. That's a, that's a winner for him. I think yeah. yeah, that would be a fantastic move for him. I don't think Jack Byrne should go to a London club or anything like that because there is rumors that he's a little bit mischievous or so, so <laughs>
0: <Easy, laughs> maybe down
2: day. the south coast would be a good idea for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so, so in the south coast.
0: Is, is that a is that a free transfer is that they get him for free, do they?
2: Yeah, which I'm also happy to hear <laughs> he's like a million pound player. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they'll probably have a big massive sell-on clause. Uh, Burn will actually rip it up in the Championship and he'll go to United for uh, £100 million and, you know, they'll get their money back.
2: And we all wake up from our nightmare.
0: <laughs> um, listen, Sean, we, we we spoke before we recorded, we spoke to uh, Leo Gray. Um, it was a really good chat with him, wasn't it?
2: Excellent, excellent. Uh, Leo's a brilliant speaker and a great mind on football and just... Some of the stories he was able to tell there, you know, just reminiscing about some of the old players and that that went through the gates of the showgrounds, was he was just he was just fascinating. You could listen to him all night, really, couldn't you?
0: Yeah, um, he speaks about. He tells us who his all-time um, Sligo Rovers great is. Um, uh, it's um, ski McGee. Yeah, it's good shout, yeah, Ski McGee. Um, he, but he's also like. Like, like Leo Gray is not an old man, but he's a dying breed insofar as the, you know the newspaper game has changed, and you don't really have somebody who is writing on, reporting on, um, Sligo Rovers locally for that kind of period of time that he did. So, like in many ways, for the modern history of the club, he's seen it all, and um, he's he's you know, he's a great person to talk to about the history of the club and, you know, the place, the club within the community. And um, when we spoke to him, the first thing we asked him, the same thing I ask almost everybody um, so far is, where did his love with Flaugou Robles come from or how did it start?
1: I remember very vaguely my dad bringing myself and Jim to a match in the showgrounds. I'd say we were only five or six at the time. I think it was against Rumkongra. But I don't have any great memory of it, except I know that it happened, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But my, my first memory of going to a match was in about uh, 1967, and it was it was rovers versus Cork Hibbs, and it was a 3-3 draw. I remember that it was a crack. It was a great introduction, and we used to stand down behind the old where the Volkswagen stand. As now it was like a grass bank, and that's where all the young lads, say about our age, you know, maybe eight or nine years of age or ten, ten years maybe, that's where we used to all to congregate. All the young lads from the town and to make their way out there to the showgrounds and stand on that bank every Sunday afternoon. It was Sunday afternoon matches, obviously with no floodlights in those days all the matches were on a Sunday afternoon and there wasn't an awful lot else to do in the town for young lads either you know. so having the Rovers there was just fantastic and you'd be looking forward to it all week you know. and it was a home game on to go out there so and uh, those, those were great days
0: who, who, was, um, who was the team made up of? Was it locals?
1: Mostly, well no it was, it was a mixture of well, they're all part-timers at, at that stage um, it would have been Jerry Mitchell was playing that time, and I think David Pugh, uh, Jimmy Burnside, and then there'd be lads down from Dublin. You'd come down on the train on a Sunday morning, maybe have a bit of lunch in the Southern Hotel, and maybe, and maybe sometimes it might have been a bit of a liquid lunch for some of them. I'm not sure, but it made the way up to the it made the way up to the showgrounds then and and uh, line out for the Rovers. I remember David Pugh was telling me one time. Now I don't know who the manager was in those days. It wasn't. Wasn't um, I don't think managers in the sense that we know managers or coaches now it might have been even a selection committee at, at that time but I remember David Pugh telling me one time that the local lads would go up and they'd be sitting in the dressing room and whether they got a game or not depended on who came down from Dublin on the train so if six or seven of the dubs decided to turn up this Sunday the locals were out
0: All right, okay.
1: but if only two or three dubs turned up which I think was frequently enough the locals would get a game then you know so a few Pugh, as you know, was a fantastic player. He used to be pretty annoyed that time, some of the Dubs coming down and taking his place on the team. But it um, then I think around 1968, Tony Bartley came in as player manager. He came over from England, and things got very professional and well run and well organised then, you know. so And they had a the fairly decent side then around that time, that 68, 69, and then they reached the Cup final in 1970. So that was the makings of a very good team then, yeah. They were exciting times. For young fellas like ourselves, it was great now, you know, to be following the team when they were having a little bit of success and cup runs and all the rest of it, you know. And
0: what, what was the difference? That, like, how was the sense of professionalism injected into the
1: team, do you think? When Bartley arrived, uh, full timers brought in were a couple of lads from England. And I suppose when the local lads saw how, how, you know how to be a professional and how to train, maybe to look after yourself a little bit better in terms of, you know, your social life and and one thing or another. The whole sense of professionalism came in. And one of the great players who we brought over at that time was uh, Johnny Brooks, some of the older listeners now, uh, Connor will remember Johnny very well. He he became a legend. He was absolutely fantastic uh, striker. And uh, I think People like that, you know, inspired young lads, then locals coming up soon, you know, did something to aspire to and, and a, a sort of a local hero to look up to. And uh, Bartley and then Ken Turner came in after him as player manager, a very professional setup as well. So, you know, it was, a, it was a case of, I suppose, learning the professional game from professionals and it carried on like that. And some very good local players came through then through that system. Tony Fagan, I suppose, being the the best known of them. In that era,
0: um, was it was it the ambition of every footballer in the town to play for Rovers? Like, was that the height of their ambition, or you know, when you think of the likes of Sean Fallon, we had locals who were doing it on maybe on bigger stages yeah. across the water. And um, where where did Rovers yeah. fit into people's ambitions? Oh,
1: I think I think for local lads playing football, uh, playing for Sligo Rovers was was the mecca. Like you know if uh, Fago himself, you know, would often tell the has told told the story many times that you know playing for playing for Rovers for him was like playing for Manchester United, and he had it all locally. You know, he had his family locally, he had his local boozer locally, and he had his 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 hometown team. So uh, uh, the attraction of playing cross channel probably wasn't as great, certainly for Sligo, as because I think most of the players in those days, now Connor, that went over to English English clubs would have. Come from the schoolboy leagues in Dublin, or maybe the um, the underage teams at League of Ireland clubs in Dublin. Very, very few fellas from the country in those days, or from from uh, down the provinces, as far as I know, went across England. So I don't think it would have been really that much of an aspiration for lads around Sligo. I think the big thing was, you know, to play for Sligo Rovers was something, and that they all aspi- aspired to. And it, you know, it was it was a, a boyhood dream, I'd say, for any of them that made it. Yeah.
0: Like when you were very when you were very young in Showgrounds, what what were the attendances like? What what kind of crowds were there?
1: Um, were well, looking, looking back looking on at, it, you know, you know, looking looking back now, from it seemed like it, it used to be jammed every week. As I was telling, you, we used to stand behind the, the railway goal or the goal at the railway end, and then the jinxes Avenue there wasn't a stand there again. It was kind of a, a, a grass bank, and that always seemed to be full as well. And then the main stand was so. I couldn't put a figure in, in in thousands but I my impression is that there were more people going to matches then mm. than there are now good and all as the crowds crowds are now I think there was more people going then as I said there was really nothing else to do in, in Sligo on a Sunday afternoon and, and and Rovers always had great support from the outlying areas as well I know Sligo was a soccer mad town and people talk about you know Rovers as a town team but they, they always had great support from around the county and still have which is fantastic to see you know
2: Leo, you touched on there with um, the professionalism that came in with the likes of Ken Turner and that as manager. Could you see yeah. that? Could you see it building towards the Billy Sinclair days? Was the club slowly but surely progressing as a club, leading towards those so that successful year in the seventies, well, or was well, that kind of yeah. a flash in the pan, more typically? Uh,
1: no, I wouldn't say it was a flash in the pan, John, as as, as as such. But neither was it really the result of any great progression because. The years that I just mentioned, Bartley and Turner and the 70 Cup final team, and for whatever reason, things went into a bit of a decline after that. And in those days, there was only one division, there weren't two divisions, and the two teams that finished at the bottom of the league had to apply at the end of every season to be re-elected to the league for the following season. And in, in the early 70s, it was it was regarded as a success for overs if they weren't in the bottom two, if they didn't have to apply for re-election. And a good few years they did have to. And in fairness, that's the that's the uh, environment that Billy Sinclair came into. And I think in his first year at the club, actually, the, if they didn't finish in the bottom two, to finish third from bottom, very near it. So he he transformed the thing completely within a matter of two years after him arriving to a team that was bottom of the table, a very close to bottom table, bottom of the table. He had developed um, a league-winning side. That was a, you know, a phenomenal, really. Uh, Sinclair's Sinclair's day there, and and after that, I think then people began to realise, you know, it's not impossible to have a successful team in Sligo, and I think the sense of ambition at the club kind of was established then, and they all were always looking to build a team that was good enough to challenge for honours or be there or thereabouts, rather than before Sinclair, as I said, it was almost. It was almost successful not to be in the bottom two, believe it or not.
2: And with that Billy Sinclair team, have you ever seen a, a more successful patch of Sligo born players in a, in a Sligo overside? Like you're looking at Steve, uh, Fago, yeah. David Pugh. Who else have you got? There? Yeah. I'm missing. Uh,
1: well, uh, Jerry Mitchell would have been gone by that time, but um, yeah, and I mean, you mentioned McGee there, Paul McGee. Ski, I, I think, even we've had some great players recently. You know, Joey Ando and Owen and Rath and you know Mark Wigley and a few more that from our great glory days. But I still think, in my time, well, maybe just kind of just my age looking back on it I think uh, Ski was probably the best player I've ever seen playing for over when he was at his best that season when we won the league he was just unbelievable
2: well, and Craig was there
1: right Jerry, Jerry in that Jerry Harrigan was on that squad as well he didn't play too often Paul McManus was right full for a lot of that season yeah with a lot of locals in and around that squad alright yeah yeah no, I
2: even my father he he Always says back to how good just Ski
1: was. He thinks he was one of the best ever stepped through the game. Uh, he, was, um, he was He was. He and he had it all. Like he was, he could play as a sort of orthodox winger, you know, beating three or four players down the wing and putting in brilliant crosses. And then he could play up front as a as a, a centre forward. And some of the goals he scored were unbelievable. Uh, it wasn't really a surprise that he got a move to England after that season and got so so many caps for Ireland. He uh, probably didn't have the career that he that his ability probably sh- should have earned, you know, because for whatever reason. But he, he wasn't absolutely, as I said, in my, my, my opinion, he's the best I've seen out there. And we've had some good ones, in fairness.
0: Are you saying, Leo, that he's the, the best Rovers player that you've seen or the best local player that you've
1: seen? No, the best Rovers player, I think. Right. Yeah. But I mean, that's uh, other people would have. I, th- I think it maybe depends on your era. Pe- young lads who started supporting the Rovers during the glory years with Kuki and Barakoff and those years, you know, they would have their own favourites and say such mm-hmm. and such was best. I mean, uh, Joey Ando, i say, was the second best I've ever seen. But I still, <laughs> for people of my generation, Ski was a bit special.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. And
1: that was in a very good team. We, I mean, you know, Humes and, mm-hmm. and uh, Leonard and Michael Betts was a terrific midfielder and Fago. Uh, Charlie Furry, Pugh and Rutherford and Steny. like it was a great team. But I think Ski just gave it that extra little bit of class.
0: Um, you you you've carved out your career in the journalism world locally. Um, how did you? How did that start? Where, where did that come from? How did you get into the into writing? Uh,
1: yeah, well, I was, um, all, even at school, now, I would have been doing an awful lot of uh, match reports as kind of school projects and that. And um, we had a teacher. Uh, Johnny Benson actually was a he was GA County Board PRO so GA would have been his game but he 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 um he was great encouragement to me he used to write a column for the Sligo Champion I think and he was he was great encouragement to myself and Jim and I don't know that he sees just something in, in 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 where we wrote stuff for English classes or whatever he reckoned we had what a thousand he encourages a lot and. Um, uh, then Jim got a job at the Sligo Champion and I was working in Dublin for a while and uh, not in journalism but I'm gonna... so when I came back from there, uh, there were, on two occasions there was vacancies. there I applied the first time and I didn't get the job and, uh, when the second opportunity arose I put in an application again and I was lucky enough on that occasion to get the job Seamus Finn interviewed me a very stern interview it was but uh, Seamus was a great a great teacher and a great a great mentor and what was um
0: what was your your initial role in the champion? What were you covering?
1: Uh, well, like every provincial journalist working in the regional papers at that time, you covered everything, uh, everything you know, uh, local news stories, courts, council meetings, uh, Sligo Corporation meetings our accounts, the uh, seed vocational education committee, agricultural committees, I don't even know if these, <laughs> these meetings, these committees exist now, but so you did the whole thing and uh, then the sport as well, so sport was a great uh, kind of introduction into, into the other stuff because it just gave you a bit of confidence, uh, you know, how to write and how to interview people and contact people and, you know, uh, make contacts and... Yeah. All that sort of stuff, and that had that helped, I think, to you know introduce you to the other stuff, or sort of educated you how to how to do the other stuff. And it was a learning process all along the way. You know, I mean, even when I think of it now, I was I was just gone uh, just gone 18 when I started from the champion, which was quite young. And um, to have all that, you know, you were straight in, you were straight into it as a ju- you were your title kind of was junior reporter, you were hired as, but you were doing everything, but so we got great, great help from Seamus Payne, who was the editor there at the time, and uh, Nicola Ryan was the senior reporter. She was fantastic help to us as well.
0: And when you started, was like was the paper formatted in the kind of format of today, where you have a like a sports section, or a, did you have was there a sports there department in
1: the? chat? well, there was about a page and a half of sport at the back of the paper, but it wasn't in any really structured way at the time. I suppose it was the same in most provincial papers. We're talking about you know forty years ago, more than forty years ago, I suppose. And, you know, you'd have GA and the soccer and the athletics and the rugby and everything else all piled into uh, uh, about a page and a half at the back. And, uh, you know, there was no such thing as what was important or what wasn't important. It just all went in. And actually, uh, we were having a meeting one 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 day about how we might sort of improve the paper a little bit. And I suggested that we might have a... Uh, a, a separate sports section or a, spe- a specialised sports section. And then we had that that idea developed then and we did create a, a special uh, or a specialised sports section. And they asked me, seeing as it was my idea to do, will you take it on sort of? And eventually uh, I became sports editor. It was the first time never the paper had a sports editor. And uh, it just went from there. Then we tried to improve, we tried to improve it. And we, we got more pages. You know, as the years went on, and obviously in more recent years, then when everything got a bit more, the, you know, the technology was better and all the rest. Of the, the whole, the whole it was a separate sports supplement. Even I think at one time. Yeah. So, but it grew from from that way back in the seventies. Yeah.
0: So, um, the the idea of uh, junior soccer, the concept of junior soccer. Uh, you know i suppose in recent years it could be argued that junior soccer is not as prominent not as popular certainly the number of teams that are competing uh, in local legion soccer is probably not what it was 20 30 40 years ago yeah. uh, was that was junior soccer important um oh uh, yeah junior soccer,
1: soccer. Uh, it was uh, junior soccer was huge uh, back in the day and um, <clears throat> A lot of teams, a lot of very good players as well. You know, mightn't have been League of Ireland standard, but certainly they were, and it was very competitive and a huge interest in it locally as well. And um, my own dad was secretary for a number of years of of the Sligo Leitrim League, and that's probably asked me earlier on about where the love of soccer started, and that probably was where the roots of it were. Going to junior soccer games with him over in the old Abbeyville Park. Don't know then any of you remember Abbeyville Park, where so Abbeyville Housing Estate is now. Again, some of your older listeners, lads, will remember it. It was, it, was, it, was, uh, it was part and parcel of life in Sligo on summer evenings, going over to Abbeville Park to watch football matches. And then in the summertime, they used to have the MacArthur Cup, which was a very famous competition. It was an inter-firm's competition. And it was as much about the sort of social and industrial nature of Sligo as much as a sporting one, because there, was, there were a lot of factories around at the time. And they all used to enter teams in this MacArthur Cup. And some of the, some of the football over there, if you, got, <laughs> if you got hit by attack in the MacArthur Cup game, you stayed hit. It was, it was fiercely contested. But it was brilliant entertainment. One the crowds that used to go over on that. And looking back on again, it seems like we had good summers in, in those years. I don't know whether that was right. But thinking back, uh, it seemed to be, but uh, uh, you couldn't wait for it. Uh, during the day time. you couldn't wait to sort of have the tea and move to Abbeville Park to watch the football. It was fantastic. So great, well, Sligo still is a great soccer town, you know, but I remember it in those days when it was, it was all that mattered to anybody it was the, the junior soccer, the MacArthur Cup competition in the summer and the Rovers. Sean, you've played with for years. You've played
0: with a couple of
2: clubs, Sean. Uh, do you,
1: how, how long do
0: you think you've been playing junior soccer, Sean?
2: Uh, I played when, from when I was 16 till about 28. I packed cool. it, pack it in a few years ago.
0: Over a decade.
2: Yeah, over um, a decade. You could slowly see a decline in it as we were playing. When I, when I went in at 16, I joined Glenview, and even the, the team at Glenview there at the time was, was brilliant. The, the Shannon brothers up there, Glenn and Rasher, and Jane, uh, Jinxie, Gaffney, uh, Colin Jinx, and John Gaffney. Neil McKenna, great players, st- some of them still playing now and, and absolutely outstanding footballers. But slowly as you went on, you could just see that the, the younger generations weren't taking it in, they weren't, uh, didn't have any interest in going in playing. I'd say it's still the same today. You even look at some of the teams there, and it's still a lot of the old faces are still the star names in the league, which is a bit disappointing. Like, yeah. I'd like to see some younger lads coming through, but yeah, you could really see a steady decline in
1: it. There seems, to the lads, you'd probably know more than I do. It seems to be a, a revival in interest in junior soccer now. Is that is that the case? Is, I'm just going by what I read on the local papers and on, the, on social media. And that the, the teams that are operating now, while there mightn't be as many, seem to be very well organised. Yeah, I think.
2: Yeah, uh, and very. Like, oh. Yeah. And you see some new new teams coming in. Even like has started a team in it this year, which is great to see. You know, they've never. Oh,
1: fantastic! A yeah, yeah
2: so it'd be nice the,
1: to st- st- the standard the standard is quite good as well isn 't it
2: as far as i 'm aware yeah it's, it seems to have picked up again it seems to be a wee bit more competitive. I think Manor Rangers um took Carberry very close in the super league last year like yeah, I mean, be, yeah. Be away with it. well
0: I tell you what yeah. i've noticed I tell you what i 've noticed um lads is in relation to social media, I know um, um, one of the Bascals has started uh, tweet he's started an account um. That follows junior soccer, and he's got scores yeah. and got pictures from the games. And that's
1: right, it's uh, fantastic, isn't
0: it? It, it? but once you create that, uh, once you create, you know that um, that platform for for it, it, it suddenly becomes more relevant to people. It becomes more interesting, and then some of the other clubs I, I noticed particularly St John's, they have kind of upped their social media game you know, they list their scores, they've got images of their scores, their squad numbers and stuff like that on Twitter and social media. Yeah. So immediately you have you know, got a much better connection with the whole thing, you know. And the other thing to ah, say, yes, is, fantastic. I saw a photograph of um the pitch out in out in Strand Hill under the lights. Just looked it looked amazing, like, you know. I mean it's yeah. a serious it's a serious setup they have out there. And I mean all that kind of stuff makes a difference.
1: Oh ah, yeah, it's all great and it's all um you know, they'll encourage young fellas to get involved, which is fantastic as well. You know, whether whether it's the rugby or the soccer, or the GA or or athletics or basketball, whatever it is, it's just great to see young kids now getting back into sport and enjoying it. You know. Yeah, yeah.
0: You going to say something there, Sean?
2: No, I was just saying. No, it's it's brilliant. It is brilliant to see. It. It's creating a hype around junior soccer again. You know, and that will encourage younger lads to come. You know, when this. Finish
1: playing underage football to make that step up and play junior football. Yeah. It's, it is still exciting, and it is—it's great to be involved in. Yeah, and um, I believe the the crowds, even uh, you know that there's restrictions on people who can attend now. But I think more people because there was a lockdown for five months and nobody could go anywhere or see anything. When when it came back, I think there was such a hunger for people to go to matches. I believe there was very good crowds at some of the junior soccer matches when when they returned. Unfortunately, now it's going to be closed down for another few weeks. But um, I think it's great to see that interest being revived again in it. And, and it's, it's a reward for the volunteers who work tirelessly at all those clubs, both at youth level and junior level, uh, that, you know, they're rewarded now with people taking an interest in it. It's fantastic.
0: Um, Leo, you, you wrote a great, uh, very interesting piece on the Bitter Red Supporters Trust website um, about... Sligo Rovers players that kind of crossed the divide in the 70s, um, when they were the initial players to to play both codes, both soccer and and Gaelic football for the county. Um,
1: Yeah. Who who were those players? Well, the first players ever, soccer players ever to play Gaelic football at inter county level, were were two Sligo men uh, David Pugh and Jerry Mitchell. I suppose, just the be- iron, the just, iron, the just iron,
0: before you go on Leo I sorry. we probably need to set the scene a little bit in relation to why, why there wasn't just for, for maybe people who weren't familiar why people yeah. were not playing both codes
1: Yeah well they weren't allowed to under the rules of the GA it was um, a rule rule 27 uh, was uh, re- referred to so called foreign games and I suppose kids growing up now who play every sport rightly so would find that very strange to think there was a time when if you played soccer you weren't allowed to play Gaelic football you weren't even allowed to attend a Gaelic football match and the reverse was true as well if you played Gaelic football you couldn't well you couldn't play soccer or if you if you did you wouldn't you'd have been dismissed from the Gaelic athletic association but i mean look that's the times that we were in it and i think it's probably to the Jays credit that at the time in, in in 1971 they decided to do away with with rule 27 and it went to a vote at their annual congress, and it the vote the vote to end the ban on foreign games was carried by thirty votes to two, and the two counties who voted against it were Antrim and Sligo. They wanted the ban retained and the ironic thing about all of that is three months later that was Easter nineteen seventy one and by June of 1971, Sligo were the first county to make use of the new regulations and bring in soccer players to play for the county uh, Gaelic team, Gaelic football team. And the two, well, they, they brought in uh, Tony Fagan as well. Jerry, Tony Fagan, Jerry Mitchell and David Pugh. Well, I, I don't think, well, I know that Tony didn't get started in any of the championship games, but Mitchell and Pugh did. And they were, they made a, uh, they made a huge impact as it happened. That was, a, a, by all accounts, a great Sligo team, and they reached the Connacht final in 1971, and were only beaten by Galway after a replay. But the other interesting thing about that was the first game that the two lads played for for the Gaelic team was in Hyde Park, Common. and it was the first ever game at Hyde Park that had only been opened recently at that time. And the the irony, as I say, of it was the name that the park that they played in was. Named in honour of our first president Douglas Hyde Who himself had fallen victim of the foreign games rule While he was president of Ireland by the way He attended a soccer game at Daly Mount Park Between Ireland and Poland I think it was 1938 And he was swiftly removed from his role as patron of the GA Because he had breached the rules by attending a soccer game So it was funny the way all those years later That a pitch in his honour, named in his honour Should be one to host a GA match involving soccer players. So thankfully, those days are long gone now, where there's any divisions or any rivalries or any sort of hostilities between sporting organisations in the country. And that's certainly yeah. that's that's uh, to be welcomed.
0: It's a really interesting piece. It's on the Bitter Red Supporters Trust website. It's called uh, A Bit of Red, uh, A Bit of Black and White. It's, um, it's a great read. But I'd encourage anybody listening to um, to have a look at it uh, we're on a zoom call here we've only got eight minutes left before we get kicked off the call because um uh-huh. uh, we have uh, we have a basic um basic zoom account so we know the pro zoom account so in the eight minutes left um, we'll just cover we'll have a quick chat, chat about um, i think um, how the club has been progressing in, in recent months um it was a desperate start to the season um are you are you happy leo with how things have panned out to date
1: I think so. I think overall, I, you know, you can be disappointed with the odd performance in isolation, but uh, I wouldn't say they define the season. I think if you look at the season overall, particularly where we came from uh, at the restart with no points in the bag after four games, and now to be in a situation where you know we're not going we're not going to be in relegation trouble, and we even have an outside chance maybe even a better than an outside chance, who knows, of of uh, making the top four on a possible European qualification. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think the season so far would have to be judged to be a success. Like, you know, if you look at Shermer Rovers and Dundalk, they're so far ahead in terms of uh, structures and finance and resources. You know, we're not going to compete with those two, not not just in, at the present time. So to be where we are, I think, is realistic uh, a realistic ambition at the start of the season and probably more than realistic given where we were at the restart in July so yeah I'd be very happy with, with the job uh, Liam Buckley is doing there I think he, I think he's done a great job and brought back a bit of stability to the club which was needed after a couple of dodgy years um, it seems to have brought
2: back a hunger within the fan
1: base as well Leo would you agree with that? Oh absolutely yeah I think so there's um, I think the general public <clears throat> are buying into what he's trying to do. Like we I think the Rovers the play a lovely brand of football and okay, we weren't we were well beaten by, by Shams, but you know, as I said earlier, I don't you can you can isolate one match and define the season on that. But even even in that game we're beaten four 0 I thought with those stages of the game where we still played some very nice football, so you know, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be something you're not gonna have a successful team or a team that's gonna be good enough to challenge for the league title in, in a year or two. It's gonna take time, but I think I think Buckley has the has the thing on the whether he's the man that's gonna take forward or not, who knows? But he certainly I think put in the, the groundwork and the foundations there for a, certainly for a better future, I think anyway.
0: I suppose it's it's um it's just difficult. I mean Liam Buckley can do as well as he, as he does and are, you know he can wish to build on it but I mean we're all in a kind of a space an unknown space at the moment you know whether we yeah. have a club as we know it in a couple of months time or what's going to happen with the league I suppose it's all up in the air would you, yeah. be, would you be worried about things?
1: Yeah, yeah I, I, I think it'd have to be because um, but no, more than likely there won't be crowds let back into the yeah. grounds for a while yeah. so if you know investment with the turnstiles uh, the you know the the fundraiser that uh, lads put on last year that raised 80 grand was unbelievable. It just goes to show you the goodwill that's out there. But but you can't. That's not going to sustain you in a situation where there's no other income. So it is difficult. But I think maybe uh, you know you, you if uh, uh, maybe government money, the FEI themselves, whatever. I think there's going to have to be a, a pool or a package of money uh, made available for League of Ireland clubs next year. Um, if if that doesn't happen. I don't know. I don't know how any club could survive, to be honest with you, other than maybe as said on Duff and Champs, who have their own little pot there anyway.
0: We'll wrap things up, uh, Leo. Thanks so much for taking yeah. the time to, to join us. No
1: pleasure. I really enjoyed the chat. Now it was great. Yeah. Uh,
0: You've another Leo, piece.
1: Brilliant.
2: Sorry, about my phone going off there
1: now. You. That's
0: all right. You've another piece up on the, the website as well, Leo. That I haven't got around to reading yet. I'm sure it's brilliant and encourage people to <laughs> check out the website. And uh, listen, Leo, we'll. Um, Hopefully, we'll talk to you again uh, in future episodes. So, thanks, thanks for your time. Yeah.
1: No, you're more than welcome, lads. Thanks very much, and the best of luck with the, with the project here. It was great stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, Thanks a million to Leo for taking the time to join us and talk to us. Uh, really interesting chat. Uh, you can see how knowledgeable he is. Um, what stood out for you, Sean, from the interview?
2: I really enjoyed the, the section on um, the Gaelic football with the, with the lads making their first appearance in Hyde Park, Sligo Gaelic team. I thought thought that was very interesting. It's just a nice uh, coincidence, I suppose, but it was just the way it linked up was. I thought it was very interesting.
0: And that's what you get with the likes of Leo. Like you know, he's almost a historian of local sports again. Like you know, I'm making him sound like he's he's an old man. He's not an old man, but like he has that that you know that kind of real interest in all aspects of Sligo sport, and he's able to make those connections between the Gaelic football team, county team, and um, and players and with Rovers. Um, so thanks again for uh, your time Leo um, I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again in the weeks and months ahead you know, another bit, other bit of news in the league Sean is um, the situation surrounding Cork City um, they are um, th- the members of Forest are due to vote on the 28th of October uh, as to whether or not they want to sell the club to Trevor Hemmings who is the owner of Preston North End I believe um, but there's there's more Trevor more behind Trevor Hennings than just um, Trevor Hemmings, I suppose. Uh, what do, what do you know about him?
2: Yeah, I know that Peter Ridsdale, the former Leeds United owner, is um, his advisor, his business advisor, in everything when it comes to football. I, I, as far as I'm aware, that's yeah. what he does. And
0: um, he has a dubious background uh, when it comes to uh, significant clubs.
2: Absolutely, I think uh, any. <laughs> And he kind of leads United fan that might be listening to this as well, won't they? Yeah. Won't well, like to hear Peter Rigsdale's name. And I think Card- Cardiff City are, are in along on the same thinking towards him. He's, he's a terrible, terrible man when it comes to football and his business decisions. He's uh,
0: a- uh, what about, like, what are your thoughts on, you know, if you, if you think about Cork City and their, their recent history, um, you know, they were wound up, they were privately owned um, in the early 2000s, uh, hit financial trouble under, I think they were owned by uh, Tom Copton or Tom Collin, as they pronounce it down there, around 2010, and they ended up being wound up. And that's where uh, Forest came from. They became a supporters owned club again, and they had success under that model insofar as they were promoted in 2012. And five years later, they win a league in Cup Double not playing um, the most beautiful football in the world, but they're getting some sort of su- success. And here they are now, you know, three years later, and they find themselves bottom of the table. Like, it's, a, it's crazy when you think about it. It's a crazy couple of years.
2: It's hard to get your head around just how they let themselves get into this situation so many times, because it's not like even 2010 was the first time they've wound up. Like, Cork City has had so many different football clubs come out of it now. Sure. That? Since I think we're going back to the 60s nearly. Yeah. Um,
0: Hibs, Celtic...
2: Yeah, Cork Bulls. I think is even was one at one point. But um, you know, I, I I really I I struggle with it so much because the fan base they have down there is fantastic. It really is, and the support they put into the club, the hard work the volunteers do for that club. But any time anyone gets any kind of control over it, they just squander money.
0: Yeah, but like I, co- I think we- what's the difference between Sligo Rovers and Cork City? If we're sitting at the bottom of the Okay, I suppose maybe one of the differences is we don't have many uh, private, um, you know, potential owners coming in looking to buy Slag Rovers. But uh, you know, if 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 I'm a part of the Forest Group and part of the 600 down there, um, there's no way I'm selling. I'm voting to sell the club. What do you think?
2: Oh, I'd be the same. I look. If relegation relegation is going to happen, no matter what they do. Yeah. You know, if they if if they let someone come in and take over, he can't change anything else. So they're still getting relegated. I'd be more inclined to to take the relegation on the chain, go down, hit the reset button, and try and just learn from your mistakes and try and build it the right way for once.
0: Yeah, like the, the, but that's the thing about Cork as well. It's such a big city. It's such... You know, for the most part, um, they have good supporters. It probably doesn't take a huge amount to get the show back on the road in the first division, build a bit of momentum, and see where you are again. Because... You can be pretty sure that in ten years' time, you just you just look at the history of the club. The, the, the chances are they're going to be in a similar situation again, if not sooner than ten years' time. I,
2: I don't know what it was such that got them so badly this time because they did of European football and everything else. I think it was the size of the playing squad they actually assembled. If you look at the the amount of players Caulfield had there at one point,
0: yeah, he was buying was, everybody. It was, uh, uh,
2: it was it was just it was stupid, now to be honest with you yeah yeah you know that. that's i think that's i don't even know if the wages were massive i don't know if he had them all on massive money like they were in 2010 when you i know georgia callaghan was there i think he was on nearly three thousand a week oh, um,
0: Yeah, yeah wasn't he yeah he was offered crazy money wasn't he like on absolutely ridiculous money i can't remember what it was i can't remember oh he wouldn't leave cork. he was he was there was clubs in the uk who were after him and he wouldn't leave cork there was like uh, championship clubs who were after him, and he wouldn't leave Cork because the money he was that was so good.
2: Yeah, but th- I think Dan Murray and that was the same. You know, they had like they a great squad, but I think they were they were paying English wages in yeah. the League of Ireland. Like, was it was stupid. But anyway, that doesn't lead us to where we are today. Um, I look, they have to they have to stay as far away as possible from this takeover bid because t- all I can see it being is just. Uh, a cheap excuse for Preston North End to take any talented player from the League of Ireland yeah and I think that's all it is I think it's just a scouting a scouting mission for them
0: yeah yeah.
2: it'll be a throwaway a throwaway thing in terms of owning the club there'll be no real backing from the owner it'll just it'll be a first dibs on players that's the only thing I can see from it
0: yeah um, and I suppose as well the other side is if you look at the money that has been pumped into Dundalk I know maybe not um, not invested in the most um, in the best way recently but like it, it, you can pump a lot of money into a club and you still might not necessarily get um, European football in the League of Ireland at the moment like you know
2: no because nothing's guaranteed Conor because at the end of the day we can only attract a certain calibre of player over here at the moment yeah. and once you bring our team onto the European stage you're hoping the draws on your side like you look, you look at champs as I pointed out earlier, right? And people might shoot me down. I think that Shamrock Rovers team now is better than the Dundalk team in two thousand and fifteen. You look at the, you look at the draw Dundalk got for the Europa League, and you look yes. at the draw Shamrock Rovers got for the Europa League. They yeah. got AC Milan. You're not, you're not getting by AC Milan, but they gave it a damn good go. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, listen, we'll see what happens. Interesting. Um, that vote happens the day, two days before Corks. Um, uh, last league game of the season although you said Sean that Cork are gone they may not be relegated um, but I suppose the fans will know a little bit more going into that last game so that could have um that, that might impact or influence how the vote goes um, we'll wind things up listen um, this also it's worth noting, noting that uh, we're recording this pod uh, remotely insofar as I'm in the kitchen uh, in Sligo. Uh, Sean, you're out in the sticks uh, in South Sligo somewhere. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't think the locals in Ballaston there would be too happy there. <laughs> then, uh...
0: You're out you're in greater Sligo uh, somewhere. Um, <laughs> and um, So yeah, so there's, there's I know that my wife's having a shower upstairs, you might've heard that in the background. the tumble dryer's on the go here. So, um, But that said, the sound is probably better than when we were recording um, with the, the desk and the proper mics and everything. Um, but if you are interested in uh, giving us a shout, um, you can contact the pod podcast at borst.ie, um, and also to say that um, Leo Gray's got some um, really good content. Um, he, the story that he told us about in relation to the Sligo romans players that made the jump over to um, play for the county team um, is on the the blog page on the Red Supporters Trust website, borst.ie. Uh, really worth checking out. Also there's great match reports there from um, Jack Dogman, who's, um, um, I think he's a secondary, he's a secondary school student, um, but really quality writing, really good stuff. Um, if you're interested in um, providing some content or writing for the website, uh, I'm pretty sure the guys would be more than happy to take it out to, um, to publish it up there. Uh, you can contact them through uh, the contact details on the website. And, uh, oh yeah, before, so we're about to finish up here, Sean, but what about, um, so this is Wednesday night, tomorrow night, uh, the pod will be released on Thursday. So big game tonight, I suppose, insofar as Thursday night. Um, Ireland, uh, Slovakia. This is a one-off game, isn't it? It's not two
2: legs. Yeah, one-off game, qualifier, I think, yeah. So very, very tough opposition.
0: I mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's a long shot, isn't it? It's a long shot to
2: beat these legs, really. It is, and in terms of the, our development under Stephen Kenny, we're, it's it's in its infancy. You know, it's it's a lot to expect, even of Stephen and the and his staff and the players to go, You know, to come out into a qualifier like this. Just Slovakia are a very tough side, but they're actually a decent footballing side on top of it. So it's it's probably one of the worst opponents you could get at this stage of it. Yeah, um,
0: probably probably um, uh, not too bad. You know, we benefit the fact that it's an empty stadium because it can be fairly hostile out there. Um, those of those of us who were in Turnava for um, that Europa League game will you know about um, the hostilities. We were challenged by about one hundred and fifty locals while we were drinking pipes in the local square. Uh, I, I was very worried at one stage, but they they headed off and left us alone when they kind of realised that, like literally one hundred and fifty skinheads came around the corner at us. And not one person, not one Sligo Rovers fan, stood up. who just kept taking their pints, and the skinheads realised they were getting nothing out of us. It was, it was just, there was nothing doing, like you know. So we just headed off. But I, re, I was wearing. So it, it could be a fairly uh, intimidating atmosphere, but there would be no, there be no crowd there. Um, they are. Um, they're, they're missing some of their better players because of COVID. Um, but yeah, we'll we see. We'll see. Are you? Are you? Are you a Kenny man, Sean? You pro oh, Kenny.
2: Man. Yeah, I, th- I think it's ridiculous some of the criticism he's come under, like two games into a into a reign, and you have the the brain trust of um, the likes of Phil Bob and Jason McIntyre yeah. saying that he's not qualified to do the job. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, fair like, in mind these boys are Irish internationals because of their grannies, not even that they're yeah. actual Irish fellows. But I no, I think. It, it's very frustrating listening to those fellows because you know at the end of the day, fans are listening to them and they can turn in on the on a manager. Just if these fellows in their ear all the time on the radio and TV, yeah. It's, like, yeah, it's not a good it's not a good message to be sending out there about a manager. It's only starting out and it's his first major major job. Like let's be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean Macuto really well. McAteer really had a go at um, Brian Carr, didn't he recently? You know, a manager coming from a similar situation. Although, you know, I think Kerr wasn't picking McIntyre uh, towards the end of his reign, and that's where the beef probably comes from there. But definitely, you know, the momentum, the negative momentum will start to build if things go tits up tomorrow, which, you know, I kind of think it will happen. Um, I don't think, I think it'll be very difficult to come out of um, tomorrow night's, or tonight's game, if we say in a Thursday night's game with a win. And I think it could, it's just going to make things tougher for Kenny. Listen, I'm 100% behind him as well. Um, and I hope you kind of you kind of think the way they, the FAI is set up at the moment that they're going to they're going to give him time. He's got a contract. They knew the circumstances. That, so, you know, the negative chat can start, but, you know, I don't think it's going to have a major effect on the, the Kenny project.
2: I, look, it's not what Ireland fans want to hear, but I'd be looking at this thing for four years down the line. Yeah. That's what I'd be thinking of in, the, in terms of development. Right? See, I think you'll actually see a very, very competitive Ireland team on the international stage in about four years. I think there's enough, enough youth uh, talent coming through and I think that's the right man in charge to bring that talent to the forefront.
0: Okay, so listen, um, we'll wrap things up. Um, anything else to add, Sean? Or are you happy with that, lad?
2: No, I think that's kind of everything there. If, just if everyone that is listening, look, if you'd like to give us some feedback on... Anything you feel could be added to the pod or something you're not quite liking with the pod. Look, we're only starting out. We're only chancing around with this crack. We're having a bit of fun with it. Look, any feedback is good feedback for us.
0: Absolutely. Um, and um, hopefully the next time you hear us, um, we'll be a little bit closer to our next game um, away to Shamrock Rovers. There's a huge amount of games. Um, there's eight games to be played between now and when Rovers... Uh, next play game next, there's eight league games that's to say so and they all could affect and they all will affect um, our position in the league and we we just couldn't even get into it now it's a bit of a, a head melt to try and think what you want to happen in all those games so the next time we talk in uh, the middle of next week next Thursday um, we'll be closer to that Shells game and um, we'll we'll build up to that uh, thanks for listening and um, we'll talk to you again next week